Let's open our Bibles to the book of Isaiah. Whenever we begin a book, I like to take a little bit of time and talk about the uniqueness of um, the book. When we get into Isaiah, well, we're beginning what we're, we call the major prophets, and that would be in contrast to the minor prophets. Now, the only reason that Isaiah is called a major prophet and Zechariah might be called a minor prophet has nothing to do with its importance, only the length of the book. Isaiah being major because it has um, 66 chapters to it. Uh, one of the smaller books like Joel only has a couple or Micah or Zechariah. But Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel Ezekiel has 48, and the only reason they're called major is because they're just a, a larger book. However, a lot of people have talked about Isaiah being sort of a miniature Bible within itself, and it is definitely unique in that it's divided into primarily two sections. 39 chapters deal primarily with God's judgment, not only pronounced upon Judah and Jerusalem, but also surrounding nations. I fully expect to wake up some morning and see Isaiah 17.1 fulfilled. I believe that's going to take place in my lifetime, and if not, very shortly after the rapture. Then the next 27 chapters in the book of Isaiah is like the New Testament. In the Bible, we have 66 books. In Isaiah, we have 66 chapters. 39 of the chapters in Isaiah deal with the law and government and judgment. And that's the same as we have 39 books in the Old Testament. Well, we have 27 books in the New Testament. Most of them are written by the Apostle Paul. And then, of course, we have the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But we find 27, and the emphasis, of course, in the New Testament is God's plan of salvation, his grace. Then it gets even more interesting in that there are 66 direct quotations from Isaiah in the New Testament. Interesting number again. Some claim as many as 85 quotations and allusions at least to Isaiah. 20 of the 27 books of the New Testament have direct quotations. So Isaiah is sort of woven into the New Testament like a brightly colored thread is woven into a beautiful pattern. Isaiah is chiseled into the New Testament and is quoted over and over again. The New Testament presents the Lord Jesus Christ as its theme, and by the same token, Isaiah presents the Lord Jesus Christ as its theme. But tonight, as we get into it, a little more of of the background, the year is about 700 B.C. Isaiah is prophesying at the very, very end of the fall of the ten northern tribes. They are going to fall to Assyria, The Assyrians are going to become an issue during Hezekiah's time when he's in power. Isaiah will still be the prophet that prophesies. Isaiah, as the city is surrounded, says, don't worry about it. It's one of the most bold prophecies because they're completely, Jerusalem is laid in siege and there's absolutely really no hope. They're out of food. And Isaiah prophesies, said, don't worry about a thing. Nobody's going to die. Not when arrow's going to come over the top. You don't have to worry about a thing. That's a pretty bold thing to say when you're surrounded and it looks like you're going down for the third time. And that night, an angel of the Lord takes out 184,000 of Assyrians. Sennacherib hightails it back to Assyria, and he dies that same night. And the words of the prophet came to pass. And he gave that word of encouragement to Hezekiah. When we get to chapter 6, and we talk about heaven, it says, in the year that Uzziah died. So that's sort of dating also the book for us. When we talk about the kings of Judah, there's 19 of them, maybe 20. Only eight of them actually do what, what is right in the eyes of the Lord. And Uzziah was one of them. When you look to the kings of Israel in the north, it started out with Jeroboam, They had 19 or 20, and they did not have one. The continuing phrase when it talks about uh, the kings of Israel or the ten northern tribes is they all did evil in the sight of the Lord after, after the sins of their father Jeroboam. And he was the one, Jeroboam was the one who revolted 
um, against Rehoboam after Solomon died. So just so you can wrap your head around where we are in time, it's about 700 B.C. Uzziah is number around number 9 or 10 in the list of the kings of Judah. And um, uh, the 10 northern tribes are about to fall. They haven't fallen yet. And Isaiah is going to prophesy, not being worried about Assyria, but he prophesies about what's going to happen with the kingdom that will arise afterwards, and that's going to be Babylon. And so all that we're going to um, sort of lay as, as a background for, for you tonight. Um, as we get into this also, let's go to chapter um, 1. And the theme, as the book is divided into really two major sections, uh, the first 40 or 39 is, is going to deal with, um, well, the first 13 chapters primarily judgment being pronounced upon Judah, but then also uh, other nations that are surrounding them. The Lord is going to be much more severe with Judah because it says, to whom much is given, much is required. To whom little is given, little is required. Um, They knew a lot. Um, They heard a lot. But what I find interesting is when we talk about Isaiah tonight, and the man that he was. Jesus' comment, and we'll turn to it in the New Testament, is this, the, this human nature is that we don't want to hear about judgment. We don't want to know what's really going to happen. Um, we want to pretend everything is okay. And yet, when the scriptures deal with an issue where we have a prophet like Isaiah, we're gonna, I'm going to take you to Hebrews and show you exactly what they did to Isaiah what they did to Jeremiah, and what they did to the prophets in general. They simply didn't want to hear it. Now, the reason I find that interesting is I think in the last days, um, it's prophesied that there will be a falling away from sound teaching. Men won't endure sound doctrine. And I'm going to end the night so politically incorrect, you're not going to believe it. (laughs) But... And what I'm going to share with you is going to be very, very biblical, but it's not going to be very politically correct. It's one of the weaknesses that we have in our, in our country, and I'm sure I'll tell you ahead of time, I'll offend somebody. If not sitting here, somebody watching live stream. But we have an obligation not to go by current events or trends or frads or clicks, but simply by what this word teaches. This is a good time for an Amen. Amen. And this is, this is where we have to say, well, Pastor Dwight says so-and-so and such-and-such. You know, you've got to get past that. It's not my opinion or it's not what I think. One of the safety mechanisms that we have uh, that Pastor Chuck, after reading it in Haley's uh, handbook, was the safety that goes along when you just teach the Bible simply, chapter by chapter and verse by verse. You will deal with all the issues eventually. And um, I don't feel like I have to defend myself. All I feel like I have to do is um, to do what the Lord has called me to do and to teach this book simply and let it speak for itself. I fully believe that the Holy Spirit uh, will finish the work. I believe God's word doesn't return void after it's presented. I don't have to sweat over it. I could just lay it out there and trust that the Holy Spirit is able to work in people's hearts. And um, they're able to, this is one of the places where the Lord says, come, let us reason together. And as you think it through and, and, and weigh it through, you say, well, here's a book that sounds a whole lot, chapter one is going to sound a whole lot like the United States of America right now. So with that little bit of an introduction, let's um, do an overview of chapter one. I'm going to read it verse by verse, and I'll come back and highlight and take you to a couple references in the New Testament. So about 700 B.C., Isaiah is the prophet. And um, verse 1, the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, the kings of Judah. So in verse 1, 
you would have, you know, it said about Billy Graham, it lists the names of the presidents that he would go and have personal contact with. Uh, from Eisenhower, or, or, or I can't remember where he started, but he's got quite a list. And in the same way, here we have the introduction, verse 1, Hezekiah. Uh, he was around during the reign of the king of Uzziah, Jotham, um, Ahaz, and then uh, Hezekiah, the kings of Judah. And remember, when we say Judah, we're just talking about the two southern tribes. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know my people to do not consider. Your, animal, your animals know you, and... Um, and they, re, they respect you. They know who you are. They know your voice. For some reason, what's making the, the, um, the circuits in the office right now are <clears throat> um, things that dog and cats do when nobody else is around. So somebody sent me, I don't know who sent it to me, but it's what a dog does when you're not there. So a guy puts on his house camera, and uh, the dog watches his master go out the door, and the first thing you know, he's got up on the window like this, <laughs> looking back and forth, and then he gets tired of doing that, so he go, goes and lays on the couch, and then he gets anxious, and two minutes later, he's back at the window, and he's checking everything out and checking everything out. And then he jumps on the ottoman and goes, oh! So this is all being recorded while the master's being gone, and then he goes back, and he lays on the couch for a little while, and then he goes back and looks out the window again, this is three minutes going on, and this dog pacing the cage, and what is he doing? He's waiting for his master to come home. And uh, dogs are just incredible creatures that way. They know who their master is, and they live to please their master. And what happens when, um, when, uh, when they come home? I had a dog one time, April, raised her from a puppy, and she could not control herself when I came home. I simply called it happy pee. I didn't know what else to call it, you know? <laughs> Maybe that's a little bit too much information for some of you, but I think that makes the point that I'm trying to make. Well, in contrast, the Lord is saying, look, my ox knows who I am, I'm the owner, and my donkey knows that I'm the boss, but my people, they don't even consider. The, my, my own creation, they have blown me off. Alas, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a brood of evildoers, children who are corruptors, they have forsaken the Lord, they have provoked me to anger, the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away backwards. Why should you be stricken again, you who revolt more and more? The whole head is sick. And the whole heart faints from the sole of the foot even to the head. There's no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed or bound up or, or soothed with ointment. Your country is desolate. And now, they, now we, we're beginning to identify um, as we see the decline just from the time I grew up watching Leave it to Beaver uh, coming home after school, to now coming home on a nightly event and find out where the next shooting has been. And I have to say I wasn't surprised when I came home and, and flipped on the tube and, and that's what was going on. But what a change in just my generation from growing up with Leave it to Beaver to coming home to wondering, as, as well, was it terrorists? Or was it just a, a personal grudge. Uh, obviously it was well planned and played out. And um, it's putrid. It's um, um, down, going downhill. There's no soundness. Um, the country is becoming desolate. People are afraid to go out. Your cities are burned with fire. Strangers devour your land and your present. And it's desolate as overthrown by strangers. So the daughters of Zion is left as a, a booth in a vineyard and a hut and a garden of cucumbers as a city besieged. 
Unless the Lord of hosts had left to us a very small remnant, we would have become like Sodom and have been made like Gomorrah. So the writings on the wall for the ten northern tribes is what we have in view here. The remnant that he's referring to is Benjamin and Judah, these two tribes that are left, and they got a couple good kings. Josiah is going to be the last one. There's going to be a great revival and reform. But it's followed with leaders that are all downhill from there until Babylon finally takes them into captivity because they fall into the same old, same old sins that their, their fathers had. Verse 10, now hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Who is he talking to? He's talking to the two southern tribes. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifice to me, says the Lord? I've had it. I've had enough of your burnt offerings and the fat of, of, of your fed cattle. I don't delight in the, in the blood of bulls or lambs or goats. And when you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons and Sabbath and the calling of assemblies, I can't endure iniquity in sacred meetings. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, I hate them. They are a trouble to me. I'm weary of, of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I'm going to hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I'm not going to hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourself, make yourself clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. All right, let's just stop at verse 16. That's quite a list of indictments that Isaiah is boldly standing up and um, calling them out on on their religious hypocrisy. Was it last night or the night before, Judy and I, I love um, the life story by Dan Rather on the life of Johnny Cash. And uh, if you've never seen it, try to get a copy of it. It tells the story from his birth until his death. And um, one thing that Dan Rather said about Johnny Cash, he was a lot of sin He's, before he got saved. One thing he wasn't, he wasn't a hypocrite. And the, the, the show is so good because it traces everything, of especially his conversion. People don't know he had a degree in theology. People don't know that when he'd travel, he had a pastor traveling with him. He got a degree because he had Bible studies backstage. And uh, he was on over two dozen Billy Graham. He was uh, uh, involved with 24 plus Billy Graham crusades. I remember him, the influence that it had on me in 1970. Johnny Cash, the Folsom Prison guy, the guy with the boy named Sue. Behind the scenes, in his heart of hearts, what's laid out is um, his love for the Lord and simply wanting to serve the Lord. And then he went on to make, I couldn't top what I watched, and so I, I thought, well, I can't top this, so I put in the movie that him and, um, um, oh, come on, brain, I hate it when you get that old, June, June Cash Carter, June and, and um, Johnny made the gospel road. He went to uh, Israel. He said he never saw a movie that, that he liked that portrayed Jesus as, as human enough or divine enough. So he said, I'm going to do it myself. It's all biblical. He does all the narration. He writes all the songs. And um, I've never seen a clear, more precise presentation of the story and the life of Jesus than what Johnny Puts, puts forth. My favorite part about it is he begins, and a lot of it is shot, in one of my favorite places out in the world, Mount Arbel in Israel. That's where he begins it. And a lot of the, it's all shot in Israel. And boy, am I getting off track here. All right, where was I? <laughs> yeah, verse 16. Washing yourselves makes you... And that's where we are as, as a country, just going down... Uh, that quickly, but my my point is, guys of his stature that know 
um, Johnny Cash in his past life. And then how bold he was for the gospel. Here is Isaiah. And, um, I mean, these are, these are hard words. But he's just laying it out there, telling it like it is. He says, I'm, I'm sick of your hypocrisy. Well, that's where Johnny Cash came in. That's what triggered the Johnny Cash thought. One thing he said he wasn't. He wasn't a hypocrite. And um, he says, verse 18, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. This is, a, this is a verse for those of you who share the gospel. And when you do that, be tactful. Don't go off 900 miles an hour quoting scriptures. Uh, be patient. Get inside their head. Paul said he became all things to all men. You know, know your audience. Who are you talking to? To these fishermen, Jesus would say to James and John, come on, you guys, I'll make you fishers of men. To an old man named Nicodemus, he says, Nicodemus, come on, I'll tell you how you can be born again as a, as a young person. To blind men, he was the light of the world, and so on and so forth. He knew his audience, and it's a reasonable thing to talk to people about the Lord in a reasonable way. Challenge them. And what you want to do is to get them to begin to ask questions. If you can get them asking questions, that means you've got to shut up and listen for a while. Find out where they're at and see what their problem is and then address, address that. That's what this verse says. Come, let's reason together. And though your sins are scarlet, they'll be white as snow. Now you know where the song comes from. I didn't ask Thomas to do it, but I'm reading it, and I thought, well, I wish I would have talked to the worship team because I would have had them play white as snow tonight because this is where it comes from. Well, they're a step ahead of me, as usual. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. If, there's the big word, if you are willing and obedient. Here's the other side of the flip coin. You will eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel and you worship other gods or think you can fill the void some other way than a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you're in for a rude awakening. You will be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. How the faithful city has become a harlot. He's referring to Jerusalem. Full of, it was full of justice. Righteousness lodged in it but now murders. Washington, D.C. has one of the highest murder rates in the country. And yet it's the, the place where uh, we made our own covenants and uh, our country was based upon Judeo-Christian principles. And, um, and look what it has turned into. Verse 22, your silver has become dross, your Wine is mixed with water. Your princes are rebellious. And your companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bride. And, um, you know, money is the root of all evil. And the more we, we find out about government programs and so on and so forth, the, the, the phraseology that's used is, well, follow the money. Follow the money. Just follow, follow, see where the money leads. And you'll find... Um, the corruption at the end of it. And follow after rewards. They do not defend the fatherless, nor does uh, the cause of the widow come before them. They're only concerned with, with themselves, climbing the corporate ladder. Therefore the Lord says, the Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel, ah, I will rid myself of adversaries, take vengeance on my enemies. I will turn my hand against you and thoroughly purge away your dross and take away all your alloy I will restore your judges as at the first and your counselors as at the beginning. Afterwards, you shall be called the city of righteousness and the faithful city. Now, the first part of the book of Isaiah is going to be God dealing with them in judgment. That's only the, the first half. Of, the end of it is going to be what he's hinting at here, where it talks more about the coming kingdom where the lion will lay down with the lamb, where they will beat their swords in the, in the plowshares. He's now giving this glance ahead that um, I, I think 
this was 700 BC. It's been 2,000 years since the Lord was here. 6,000 years since man has been around. And I think beginning that seventh year or that 7,000th year will be the kingdom. And that's what we have in store here. And much of the book of Isaiah talks about the coming kingdom. Zion shall be redeemed with justice and her penance with righteousness. The destruction of transgressors and the and sinners shall be together, and those who forsake the Lord shall be consumed. Literally, that's what Revelation 20 talks about. At the end of the millennium, those who rebel will be consumed. They will be ashamed of the terabith tree, which is basically what they were worshiping, and uh, which you have desired, and you shall be embarrassed because of the gardens which you have chosen, for you shall be as the terabith whose leave fades. Again, this is a form of pagan worship that they got into. Uh, the strong shall be as tinder and the work of it as a spark. Both will burn together and no one will quench them. Let's go to the New Testament, Matthew chapter 23, and talk a little bit about Isaiah. Matthew 23. <clears throat> One of the things that Johnny said in his movie that we watched the other night, he says, I suppose if there's one thing, Jesus loved all people and all men, but I suppose if there's one thing he couldn't stand, and that would be a hypocrite. Matthew 23, from verse 1, all the way through, is about his condemnation. Like Isaiah, he can't say it strong enough. Um, how they've rebelled. I don't want to hear your sacrifices. I don't want to hear your prayers. I don't want any of your incense. Don't do it. I'm not listening. Strong words. But here they're repeated again because if there's one thing that the Lord hates more than anything else is religion. I, blow, I like to blow people's mind out and they ask what I do and I, I tell them. And I said, but I want you to know I hate religion. Well, it stops them dead in their tracks. What do you mean you hate religion? You're a pastor. No, I hate religion. Religion keeps people from a personal relationship many times with Jesus Christ. You can go to church. You can do the, the, jump through the hoops. You can have outwardly appearing it right. But if you don't know the Lord and you're doing these things, you're, in some cases you're actually preventing people from coming to a personal relationship with the Lord. That's what Matthew 23 is all about. Like verse 13, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you actually shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For neither you go in yourselves, and you do not allow those who are entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, for you devour widows' houses. How many prosperity teachers today have these little old ladies on Social Security saying if you'll just send in your seed faith to our organization that God's going to bless you and prosper you. You know what Jesus calls that? Devouring widows' houses. All in the name of the Lord. And um, they, they don't know any better. They're seduced uh, by the slickness of some of these charlatans. And um, look at the verbiage that he, that he uses. Blind guides, hypocrites, um, uh, verse 33, serpents, brood of vipers. You can't get any stronger than that. How can you escape the condemnation of hell? Where they were at religiously in Jesus' day, there's a reason he made that cord of whips, and there's a reason he turned over the money changers. And he says, you've turned the house of God into a place of merchandise, and he, he, he did his business. Now, let's get to Isaiah, verse 34. Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city. 
that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berachiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Assuredly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. He goes on to say, which one of the prophets didn't you kill? Whatever happened to Isaiah? We just read chapter one. And he goes to the people and he says, you're nothing more than Sodom and Gomorrah. And the Lord doesn't want to hear it. And he doesn't want you to play in church anymore. Go to Hebrews chapter 11. Of course, Hebrews chapter 11 is um, the chapter on faith. And begins, of course, with way back with, in, uh, with Abel and Noah and Abraham and Joseph and Moses and David and the prophets. But then it talks about what they went through. Here we read very first chapter of Isaiah. And he's in their face all over the place calling them Sodom and Gomorrah, saying, I don't want to hear it. And judgment is imminent. But let's just talk about Isaiah and what we believe happened to him. And I'm looking at verse um, 36. This is men like Isaiah and Jeremiah. When they took a stand and they spoke and said, thus says the Lord, I don't want to hear it anymore, you're playing church. Uh, Outwardly you're doing it, but your heart is far from me. 36 Still others had trials of mocking and scourging. Others had chains and imprisonment. They were stoned and they were sawn in two. We believe that Isaiah was the one that they're referring to here. And um, it's not, this is the place in the scripture, but the history of uh, Judaism tells us that that's how Isaiah was killed, that they actually sawed him in half. And so when we read verse 37, some were stoned, some were sawn in two, that's probably a reference to Isaiah. Um, Remember how Stephen died, the first martyr? You know, what did he do? He got up and laid out the whole history of Israel and filled with the Holy Spirit and he said, and it's, you had the Son of God sent to you, and what did you do? You killed him. And when he got to that point, it said it cut them to the heart. And they picked up stones, and they just did not want to hear anymore what Stephen had to say, and so they killed him. Uh, but before he died, he looks, he says, oh, this is great. I see heaven open. Oh, there's Jesus. And Oh, he's not sitting. He's standing at the right hand. And here's the Lord always sitting, but one place in the Bible he's standing. Why? Here's the first martyr coming home. What's he doing? He wasn't given a very seeker-sensitive, pleasant Bible study. No, he says, repent or else. And they didn't want to hear it, and so they killed him. What did they do with Isaiah? Well, as we start the book, let's go back to it, chapter 1. We look at our country today. Sometimes people get upset when I name names or mention false teachers that are out there, but they're charlatans. And if, I, if you don't know who they are, and if I don't tell you who, are they, who they are and why they're off, then I got good biblical standings. Well, Isaiah did it. Paul did it. Alexander the coppersmith did me much damage. I pray that the Lord gives him just what he deserves. How would you like that for a prayer request? And some guy was doing Paul harm, and the Lord says, I, I pray for him, Lord. Give him what he deserves. And, um, and yet today, um, there's, there's just, we don't see that sort of chutzpah that I think should, should be done what we see happening here with Isaiah chapter 1. All right, let's go to... Um, Chapter 2, and the subject changes greatly. In case you didn't catch our downward spiral, I'll just mention why we're in the state we're we're in. Um, It goes back to Roe v. Wade, 73. 
even back into the 60s, late 60s, where things really started to change. Take prayer out of school, Supreme Court, you know, legalized the same-sex marriage, and now we have lawlessness abounding, no respect for authorities, and, um, and we have it spiraling basically out of control. And um, if, like Billy Graham always said, if, if we don't get a judgment from the Lord, then he owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology because we are no better than they are. Now, having said that, when you read the book of Revelation, there is the church of Philadelphia that's there. And they got a couple things going for them. There's nothing bad said about two churches of the seven churches in Revelation chapters one, two, and three. Two and three. There's something bad said about each of them except two. One was Smyrna. They were the persecuted church. And he doesn't say anything to them except hang in there. Yes, you're being persecuted, but he doesn't say anything really negative or bad about them. Number two is a church of Philadelphia. They had two things going for them. They wouldn't deny, it says they were little in strength. In other words, they weren't a mega church. They were little in strength, but they would not deny the word of God. And they held strong to that. He says, therefore, I'm going to keep you from the hour of trial that's going to come upon the whole earth. I take that to mean that he's going to deliver the church of Philadelphia in the middle of this corrupt uh, nation. He's going to deliver us somehow, some way. I believe that's what the rapture is all about. Before judgment comes, what happened with, what happened with Sodom and Gomorrah? The angel said, we can't do anything lot until you're out of here. So you, we got to get you out of here. And they thought they were kidding, so the angels pulled them out. But judgment couldn't come. And um, I, I believe it's the same uh, with our own country. Anyway, we can spend a lot of time on chapter 1, but that's how Isaiah starts. Chapter 2, beginning with verse 2, is yet future. It'll be my subject on on uh, Sunday, so I'll just um, tease you a little bit with it tonight. The word of Isaiah, the son of Amoth, saw Judah and Jerusalem. Now, it shall come to pass. When? In the latter days. That the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains. Well, that's Daniel chapter 2 right there. The stone cut without hands, smiting all the governments of the world and becoming a great mountain. And we'll develop that thought more on Sunday. It shall be exalted above the hills. All the nations will flow into it. Many people will come and say, come and let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways and, and we shall walk in his path. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations. That's Matthew 25. Immediately after the tribulation of those days will the Lord sit and judge the nations, separating the sheep from the goats. And he will rebuke many people. And they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Do you know that this is the sign that they have hung over the doors of the United Nations today? Yeah. You go there and this is what they have written over there today. This is the um, establishment that very shortly, I'm sure, will have a... Um, what, what do they call it when they bring in a new declaration for them to, for them to vote on? In this case, uh, what they will do with uh, Israel going back to its pre-67 borders. That's on the list, and that's probably what's going to happen next. Uh, that is completely taken out of context. It does not belong <laughs> on the front doorsteps of the United Nations. This is only meant for the millennium when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, and we'll, before we read 
too much farther tonight, where it says that they will learn of war no more. And that's the other thing that we're hearing about tonight. Boots on the ground. Um, they said they wouldn't do it, and now they're doing it. But not too many, but we've got to raise the ceiling now so that we can deal with uh, ISIS. So in verses 2 through 4, we are talking about the millennial kingdom reign. And that's when, well, I, I got ahead of myself. I didn't finish reading. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. Clearly future and not to be meant on the doorpost of the United Nations. O house of Jacob, come and let us walk in the light of the Lord. For you have forsaken your people, the house of Jacob, because they are filled with eastern ways. There are soothsayers like the Philistines. Uh, They are pleased with the children of foreigners. The land is also full of silver and gold. There is no end to their treasures. Their land is also full of horses. There is no end to their chariots. Their land is also full of idols. They worship the works of their own hands, that which their own fingers have made. People bow down. Each man humbles himself. Therefore, do not forgive them. Enter into the rock and hide in the dust from the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty. The lofty looks of man shall be humbled. The haughtiness of man shall be brought down. And the Lord alone shall be exalted that day. Well, let's just stop quickly and I'll show you where this literally is um, going to be fulfilled. Let's go to Revelation 6, but keep your finger in verse 11. We're coming right back. Revelation chapter 6. is the opening of the seal judgments. The book of Revelation is divided into three sections. The key verse is Revelation 1, verse 19. John was told to write the things that he saw. That would be chapter 1. Then he says, write the things that are, present tense. That would be chapters 2 and 3, the church age. And then he's told to write the things that are after the things of the church. That's how the book of Revelation is divided. It is then divided again when you get into things after the church or after the rapture into three sections also. We have the seal judgments, we have the trumpet judgments, and we have the bowl judgments. And it begins in chapter 6 with the unveiling of the Antichrist. Um, That's chapter 6, verse 1. And that's the rider on the white horse. We call them the four riders of the apocalypse. And um, if you look down at the sixth seal, verse 12, I looked and he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood. The stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree does drop its figs when it's shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it was rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, what did Isaiah say he was going to do? Humble these guys. And the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man, they hid themselves in caves and in the rocks of the mountains My Bible cross-reference there says Isaiah chapter 2, verse 10. What I want you to see, gang, again, is the New Testament connecting with the Old. And I I mentioned that there's 66 connections to this book that has 66 chapters to it, and there's 66 books in the entire Bible. Here's just one of them. So we read verse 10, where they enter the rocks and hide in the dust. Revelation 6, verse 15. Make the connection. What does it do? It increases your faith in the book that you're holding in your lap. That if the the Lord says there are certain things yet that are going to be fulfilled, well, you can bet your bottom dollar that's exactly what's going to happen. Nothing's going to change it. Jesus says nothing can just, if it's been written, 
It can't be undone. It must be fulfilled. All right, let's go back. I told you I'd come back to verse 11. But it's the haughtiness. And, um, you know, the Antichrist, <clears throat> that which he has in common is what Lucifer has always desired, and that is to be worshipped. He asked Jesus to do that. Jesus, get down and worship me, and I'll give you every, all the kingdoms of this world are yours. Lucifer, before he fell, desired one thing, to be worshipped. He wanted to be like the Most High. We call him the five I wills. And pride is the worst sin of all sins. So what does the Lord say he's going to do during that time? All these guys that are so high-minded and um, big-headed, they're going to take one look at the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and they're going to go into the rocks and try to hide themselves and beg for themselves to be taken out. All right, verse 12, for the day of the Lord of hosts shall come upon every proud and lofty, upon everything lifted up, it shall be brought low, upon the cedars of Lebanon that are high and lifted up, and upon the oaks of Bashan, and on the high mountains, upon the hills that are lifted up, and every high tower, upon every fortified wall. Revelation says every island will be destroyed when you get to the seventh bowl judgment the sixth and the seventh, <clears throat> every island will go away. And upon the ships of Tarshish, and upon all the beautiful slopes, and the loftiness of men shall be bowed down, and the haughtiness of men shall be brought low. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day, but the idols he shall utterly abolish. They got this guy from London that was beheading uh, people. The thing that I remember about him is the blatant pride and haughtiness that he had as he addressed the American public. It was with such arrogance. And all I could think of is who's going to take this guy out and when's it going to happen? Well, we got him. At least we, they say it's 99.9% sure. But it all falls under the category of um, the Lord will bring those men down. I mean, the other example in the Bible is really Nebuchadnezzar. He was the most powerful dictator that ever lived. And he was in great opposition to the idea that somebody after Babylon would take his place. So he built his own image, all of gold. So the Lord had to humble him. Made him crazy for seven years, or seven seasons. And then he came to his senses after that time. And that's chapter three. Chapter four, the whole chapter, is King Nebuchadnezzar giving his own personal testimony. And he says, this is how I got saved. And the last verse of Daniel four is those who walk in pride, God knows how to make them humble. Somebody wanna say amen to that? How many of us have been humbled when we, th we thought we had everything together and the Lord had to sort of pull the rug up from underneath you just to show you how strong you really are in your flesh it's to get our attention? I had to get going or I'm not going to get through this. So he's going to bring them low. The rocks shall go into the holes of, of the rocks and into the caves of the earth and the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty. When he rises to shake the earth mightily, and um, some think there will be a, a global axis shift where the earth will go on a wobble and that will actually happen. I know Revelation 7 says that the wind is going to stop blowing for, for three and a half years. So something's going to have to happen to uh, that. And that day man will cast away his idols of silver and idols of gold, which they make each for himself to worship, to the moles and bats to go to the cliffs of the rock and into the crags of the rugged rock. From the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty when he arises to shake the earth mightily. Now we're clearly into the, the trumpet judgments and into the bowl judgments. What we read here in one sentence 
the book of Revelation has whole chapters on. So we're just uh, getting a taste of it here. It is greatly amplified in the book of Revelation. Sever yourself from such a man whose breath is in his nostril, for what account is he? In other words, stay far from them. This Sunday, we will take a closer look at the day of the Lord, and I'm going to do something unprecedented and stop on time. Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, there's so much and it's so rich that I want to give proper due to your word and not rush through the richness that we have here before us. Lord, help us just glean what we just read, that we are a people that has been given many privileges. We have insight into your word. We can read it freely. And yet we see the great decline taking place. I'm personally grateful, Lord, that you don't hide anything from us, that you lay it out. It's not gray in any, any manner. It's black and white. I like that, Lord. Help us be, no matter what it costs, to be men like Isaiah, men like Stephen, men like Paul, men like the apostles, all of them dying martyrs' death, but they wouldn't compromise when it came to your word. So as we begin this book of Isaiah and we see the decline of our own nation, you tell us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, Lord. We have to pray for our own nation also. In closing tonight, Lord, we do pray for the lawlessness that we see unfolding in our own land and pray and protect us from it, Lord. But also we don't want to be that proverbial ostrich that pretends everything's okay and that judgment is imminent for our nation and uh, help us realize that. But also with the hope, Lord, that you have not appointed us to your wrath, but you have made your plans for your people that we have not been appointed to wrath, but to obtain salvation. So like the Church of Philadelphia, we may be little in strength, but we won't compromise your word and compromise your name. And we want to take the promise that you gave to Philadelphia, that because we've done this, You have promised to keep us from that hour of trial that will come upon the entire world. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.